life is complicated enough over the last few years. I wish everybody could just take a step back and say, okay, what do we need to do? Not what should we do? Because those shoulds, we can should and would our day all day long. But what we need to do is different than from what we should do sometimes. B2B Content Strategist is the podcast where you'll hear actionable advice and strategic guidance from content marketing leaders. I'm Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X, and I sit down with leading B2B marketers to discuss how they overcome challenges with limited time and resources and execute winning campaigns time after time. If you want to improve and streamline your content marketing, keep listening. Hello and welcome to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. I'm your host, Amy Woods, the founder of Content 10X. And in this episode, which marks the final episode of season two, I am speaking with a friend of mine and the show, Anna Harot of Convince and Convert. Anna is the co-host of the brilliant Social Pros podcast, a show that we've had the pleasure of working on for years and a content marketing and strategy consultant, as I mentioned, with Convince and Convert who are long-standing friends and clients of Content 10X. She's also the only person who's been on the show twice. So rather than do a solo Reflections episode, I wanted to wrap up this season of B2B Content Strategist by sharing observations of key themes and learnings with someone who knows more than a thing or two about B2B content marketing. Anna and I dig into some of the main topics that came up throughout the series, We talk about the recurring theme of AI and the ways content teams are adopting it into their daily systems and processes. Also, we talk about some of the genuine fears that there are around the quality and authenticity of content that will inevitably take over our search engines. We also speak about the massive opportunity presented by B2B podcasts, skill sets people tend to outsource versus keep in-house and lots more. It's a really great conversation and a fantastic season finale. So without further ado, let's jump in. Anna, welcome back to B2B Content Strategist. Thank you so much for having me back, Amy. It's been just almost exactly a year, I think just slightly over since I was on. So thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to chat with you. Oh no, it's a pleasure. And you're the first returning guest to B2B Content Strategist. So I'm sure that it's a career highlight for you. It is. I take that as a huge honor. Thank you so much. I am so proud to be back as the first returning guest. That's huge. We had you on season one, had a fantastic conversation. And when I wrapped up season one of the podcast, I did a solo episode where I was going through some of the key themes that came up and, and my observations. And I was thinking I'd actually much prefer to do a bit of an observations and key themes episode discussing it with someone as as opposed to just people having to listen to my voice for 20 minutes or so. And so I thought, who would I invite for that conversation? And you immediately sprung to mind because I know we'll have a good conversation. I know that you're working with B2B businesses day in, day out, helping them with the strategies, with the content, very familiar with the key themes that came out. And I'm really keen to hear what your views are and what you think of all of that. So thank you for coming back and indulging me with this final episode. Oh my God. Thank you. Yes. And I love doing recap episodes too, as we do this on Social Pros Podcast all the time, which of course your amazing team at Content 10X produces. Yeah, this is totally my jam. I'm super excited to chat about some key themes today. Brilliant. Awesome. 
let's jump in. Season two was fantastic. Lots of really good guests and different B2B type organizations with different views, but there were, the, there were these main themes that came up and um, the first one, I guess we, we did probe on it, which is why it's a theme, but the things that came up was around AI. So we had lots of comments around the importance of embracing AI and a big theme that came up was that people said that maybe they were initially a bit antagonistic towards AI and suspicious of it, I suppose, as well. And also whether there can be a peaceful coexistence between content creators and content teams in AI. And in actual fact, are now looking very much forward to the developments and embracing it. The first thing I wanted to ask you is this reticence and maybe initial sort of suspicion and a worry with regards to what AI could mean for content creators and content teams within businesses. Are you seeing that or are you seeing people mainly over the hump of that now and embracing it as most of our guests said that they were now embracing it? Yeah, it's really interesting to see the adoption rates, especially among the content community. I feel like I've seen still an incredibly wide spectrum of adoption. There are people who are full on embracing it, entire agencies who are embracing it and saying, nope, this is just built into our practices now. We are going to use this for everything and it's just going to be part of our new tool set. All the way down to people who are still dipping their toes into the water and seeing what it can do, but still being very skeptical. And I just, I feel like there isn't one bucket of adoption, it really still feels like it's very widespread. And I don't know if it's necessarily because, again, there is that potential, I think that fear about being replaced always, whenever new technology comes to light, that's always going to be, I think, a fear in the back of everybody's minds. I think there's also people who, like myself, see it as a very helpful tool and something that can help save some time. But everything that I've tried so far, now, of course, we are still in the infancy of really deep learning AI and large language models, and it really can only get better from here. But from what I've seen so far, and my honest take on it, is that there is potential within AI for content creation. It's the content that it creates is amazing for AI. I think if you were to objectively take a step back and look at it and ask if you didn't know it didn't come from AI and you thought it came from a human and you were to ask if that content was really good, I think the vast majority of us would say no. And that's, yeah, that's where I'm at with it right now. I think it's a tool, just like any other tool. I don't think it's the end-all be-all solution. And I don't think it's a replacement for people. So when we were asking, what are you using it for? The key things that came up were Ideation, that was a word that came up again and again. So people saying it really helps to get the flow of ideas going. And then like short tactical things like getting it to improve a headline, give it a headline and ask it to come up with five alternatives. And there was mention of getting it to review for SEO. I think the main thing that came up again and again was about it saving time, not being the magic solution, but saving time. And one thing that that I guess did seem fairly unanimous amongst the people I spoke to was around it not being so good for the actual creation of content, particularly long form content. It's good if you've got something to get it to review it, come up with ideas, but not so much long form. I was keen 
with your thoughts though on the word ideation again and again that came up personally in my um experience with something like chat gpt and the ideation i haven't found it to be terribly good either whenever i've thought i'm going to have experience with this and i'm going to ask it can help generate some ideas i've generally just not not been very impressed with the robotic nature and no context to anything that it's giving me what do you think about that like the ideation side of things I think it's really interesting. I'm in 100% agreement with you. And I think what's really interesting is that we have jumped automatically to using AI to do what humans do best, which is create and ideate and dream. And I love it, Amy, for exactly what you had mentioned, which is creating variances of like you want to A-B test some headlines. Perfect. Pop your headline into ChatGPT and let it come up with four or five different options to choose from. You want to write a couple different variations of some social posts, put your ideal social post in and let it provide some suggestions so that you can work with it. Because everybody knows when you have to create like six or seven different versions of one thing, like sometimes your brain gets a little burnt out. But I do think that letting machines be machines and letting humans be humans is the best way to go. And I agree. I think the ideation piece of it, whenever I've asked ChatGPT to come up with something, it's been okay. It maybe gave me something to think about, but it was never what I, it was never the right solution or the right answer I was really looking for. No, same here. Jess Cook from Lasso on one of the episodes said something that I really liked, which was around you have to get really good at the prompts that you use with something like ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And we're only as good as, the output is only as good as the input. So she was talking about um, if you get really good at understanding exactly the types of prompts and you work with your content teams on what they could use AI for and put these guardrails up as to how they would use it, what kind of prompts and things like that, then perhaps that's where you start to eke out that higher quality of output. Are you seeing many teams like the clients you work with getting a bit more fascinated with improving that side of things, the prompts and the work that goes in? Yeah, there's definitely everybody that I've talked to has been unanimous in that it really is about what you feed into it and how you ask it questions and how you refine the things that you're looking for and the things you're asking for. So it really is about the prompt, which again, goes back to that human element and really needing to understand the context and having that strategic vision. And it's, yeah, it really is about the prompts and everybody I've seen has really been talking about that. And then there's also been instances too, though, where I think it's funny, I will refine my prompt and then ChatGPT or any other AI tool that I've tested has gone off in a wildly different direction. And it comes up with some very hilarious options that I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I was I was playing. This is a, a funny story. I'll keep it short. But I was showing my nine year old son ChatGPT, and we were asking it to be a poet and write poems. And firstly, it was terrible at poems because it just used the same word to rhyme with itself. So it wasn't very good. It's not a very good poet. Poets don't need to worry about ChatGPT taking over their their line of work. But what's really funny on it is little did I know that my sneaky little son was left with chat GPT while I was not there and he had to do a poem for school. I didn't know that he asked chat GPT to do him a poem and he wrote it, hand wrote the poem into his homework, but I didn't know. And, but what's really funny is about two months later, 
and got a letter saying that Jake had won a poetry competition. Yeah. And not only had he won a poetry competition, but that the poem was being published in a book. Um, yes. I didn't know that he'd done that. So I was really excited to see this, this poem. I thought I never even knew he was much of a poet. And then when I read it, it was one, it was the one that I'd seen on my computer. It was so embarrassing because it's quite, imagine saying to the, the, the young schools, like in the UK, like the elementary primary schools, they aren't going to think that the kids are using, it might be a college issue and a high school issue, but imagine that. So it's really, it was hilarious. And you know what's really funny, Anna, though? It was not a good poem at all. Like it, what, it was really rubbish. But I think that they must have thought, because it was so unusual, it was really unusual, strange words. I think they must have thought, oh, the, like the talent here of these such unusual words. He's like Shakespeare or something like that. It do doesn't make sense. It's weird. <laughs> like they were trying to like nurture this by seeing this like different pattern from the rest of them or yeah, something. Yeah, what an unusual take. His brain must be so creative and different or something. It's so funny. That's um, hilarious yeah I know it's so funny but talking about that written side though so like I was saying poets won't I don't think poets need to worry about their day jobs so one of our guests Tom McGrath uh, from a company called Next Thing he said something really interesting so we were talking about AI and the uh, tools he said so he said the more written content isn't made by individual content creators the less people will be interested in consuming written content so we'll feel a degree of increased disinterest and hostility towards being fed something that's written by AI and we'll look for the human behind the content. So I thought that was so interesting. He's saying that he thinks ultimately disinterest and hostility towards written content because we're going to get so sick of it being AI generated and AI fed and becoming bland and mediocre that we almost don't read written content anymore. What do you think about that? It's a really interesting perspective and I hadn't thought about it from that angle before about the hostility angle, but I have thought about it from just the glut of content perspective where everybody's publishing content, everybody's talking about the same things. There's so much duplicate content already that just adding AI and churning out content on top of it and not really, not that every business is going to do this or every B2B content strategist is going to do this, but there are going to be people out there who are like, great, I can just publish whatever I want, whenever I want, because I can have AI do it for me. So having this flood of any exactly like you said, mediocre content is going to make actually getting quality content that much more important and actually having something and dialing it in and taking that extra care with it and making sure it checks all those boxes and it's not just content for content's sake. That's not new. We've been talking about not doing content for content's sake for over a decade now. And it's going to be the same thing here. But I hadn't thought about the hostility piece before. And I could absolutely see that 100%. And I know there's even already been talks. I don't have any verification of this. But obviously, universities are already looking into AI detection tools. I wouldn't be surprised if search engines started doing this as well, if social media platforms started looking at AI-generated content and devaluing it, I wouldn't be surprised in that at all. No, I wouldn't at all. And I was thinking that, I guess the good thing is that the really good, well-written, well-researched, high-quality pieces of non-AI-generated content should hopefully be able to stand up, stand up and rise above the busy noise online 
But really, the search engines, Google and the like, need to get ahead with that, really, don't they, to be able to help identify the great content from the mediocre average content and get ahead with that. And I suppose they've always said, haven't they, that when they're looking to get content ranking high, there's lots of technical aspects to it. But a thing that's been said for many years is that there is this intelligent review of quality content and making the quality rise up. But that's going to get really put to the test. And I guess they must be working behind the scenes on even more leading indicators of an AI-generated piece of content, really. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's already very much in the works and would be rolled out soon by many different platforms. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing that came out of the conversations were about AI, as well as, like we said, the more tactical things that you can use it for. When we were saying earlier about prompts and getting really good at writing really good prompts and knowing how to get the best out of it. A key thing is that you need, still need expertise within your organizations and there's a big heavy dependence on subject matter expertise. And you're wanting to write content about, let's just make this up and say like a particular coding language. And so you get rid of all of your content people that are experts in coding language to get AI to write it. Then who reviews it to make sure that it's right, like you still need the subject matter expertise to actually check that it's right and the human element to it, don't you? So you can't replace expertise because experts need to review the robots. A hundred percent. And Amy, I can't tell you how many times I have actually corrected ChatGPT on grammar. Like it has fed me a incorrect prompt and I will have to correct it. And it even like, I love that it even replies, oh, you're right. I was mistaken. I'm so sorry. This is correct. So yeah, it's not a hundred percent there yet. It is an amazing tool. It can do some amazing things. I think instead of, you know, going back to what we've been talking about in this, instead of having it look just at ideation and content creation, I really wish that we would lean more into taking the menial tasks off of our plates or the tedious tasks that actually take up so much time, like having it automate content posting on our websites and learning on the back end on how and when are the best times to post it and automating that piece instead of automating our creativity and our brainstorming. Let's use it for the things that burn us out and take off time from our day that we could get back to brainstorming and blue sky thinking and working with people. That's what I want to see the future of AI with content. Yeah, where it frees up creativity because of all yeah. those mundane tasks are taken care of. Yeah, that's the utopia, isn't it? <laughs> Not yes, replacing 100%. Race, freeing it up. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just a super quick break from this conversation to let you know that if you're a B2B technology or professional services company, and you want help with streamlining your content operations. Outsourcing your content repurposing is the number one way to produce more high quality content and boost your ROI without putting any more pressure on your team. In fact, it could save your team up to 30 hours per week. We offer content repurposing services for video and audio content. Whether you have a show or you're launching a brand new one, Maybe you have an archive of awesome content, be it webinars or a virtual event, or you want help creating thought leadership content that we can repurpose, we've got you covered. 
Head to content10x.com to see how we can help you and start increasing your efficiency and the value you get from your content. Now back to the conversation. Another key theme that came out of the episodes might not surprise you at all, but one of them was around B2B podcasting, how that came up an awful lot. So I mentioned Tom McGrath, who made that great comment about written content. If it's all AI, people will become hostile towards it. He said, he talked about that they'd launched a B2B podcast next thing. And he talked about how wonderful it is to have this big main piece of content. And he said that he's surprised that they aren't more ubiquitous in B2B marketing because of all the benefits of the podcast and the content that can come from it. From it. Chris Walker from Refine Labs also talked to me about how great it's been for them to have podcasts and also the live streams that they do. But the, these big pieces of content and the live streams become a podcast, but these podcasts and, and then how it can be broken down as well, the main piece, broken down pieces. You, you, know, you and I know this because this is what we like want to be helping people with and supporting people. And I know it often when you're working on strategic reviews with companies, it's, a, it's something that you'll be advising on. Have you seen there being more interest in this and more understanding of the benefits over the last year or so? Yes. I think B2B podcasting is still completely overlooked by the vast majority of B2B companies and B2B content marketers as well. And it is, there's so much opportunity, especially finding your audience, filling a gap in knowledge, adding to your content mix. There are so many potential opportunities that are being overlooked. Amy, as you mentioned, repurposing of content, getting more assets out of that. It's just such a goldmine of great content. And I think people are starting to become more curious about it. I don't think the adoption is necessarily mainstream just yet, but there is just so much opportunity, especially since if you look at every single podcast statistic right now, even just across the board with Edison Research's Infinite Dial Report, which just came out back in March. Podcast listening across the board is at an all-time high right now, and it's reaching more people than it ever has in the history of podcasting. So your audience is out there. Of course, with B2B podcasts, that doesn't mean you are going to pull in the same numbers as, say, like Serial Podcast or This American Life, but even just finding your niche audience and being able to speak directly to them, even if it's like a couple of thousand people, could bring huge benefits in so many different ways. It's such an opportunity. I think it, you're exactly right. It's a huge opportunity and you have to view it for the opportunity that it is. And if you're really into podcasts and you're comparing it to those big ones or like Joe Rogan, those huge shows, you're missing the point, aren't you, of the fact that the B2B podcast isn't to be the next serial or Joe Rogan show or anything like that because it's so niche because it's B2B, but it's a top of a content pyramid and it's enabling conversations, discussion and content, community growth as well, and that can become so much more. Leslie Barrett at Sendoso talked to me about how they have this five by five rule. So they say that a piece of content needs to be chopped up into five different pieces. But I guess that's a key rule that they like to have. In, an, in their organization when they're agreeing on content, if they can't meet the five by five rule and get at least five pieces of content from it, then they need to review the content and see how they can get that five pieces from it. I thought that was a really clever 
a way of reviewing content and looking at getting more from it. She was discussing the podcast in particular, but she was talking about the content as well. And um, Jess Cook at Lasso, she talked about how when they're working on these big pieces of content like a podcast, and then they're managing to get more content from it as well. So they're seeing the opportunity and repurposing. It makes their small team look big. So if people were to look on the outside and see the podcast and the blogs and this and that, and say, how many people do you think are in our content team? They'd, prob- they'd probably say seven or eight when the answer's three, that kind of thing. Is that something that you're seeing with, with the businesses that you're working with, embracing those more effective ways of creating and making more from content that small teams do look big and like maybe applying rules to make sure that you do maximize what you're creating? Yeah, absolutely. Creating a B2B podcast might seem like a massive list, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. There are lean and mean ways that you can still produce an amazing podcast. And case in point, we do this with the Social Pros podcast, where it is mostly live to tape. It's very light editing, if any, per episode. And it really is just you know, about the editing and creating some graphics afterwards as well. So that's really where the bulk of the investment is. But from just one major list, even if you do something that is lean and mean, like social pros, you can get so much content. You can get multiple different blog posts by narrowing in on the different topics that you talk about in one episode. You can get social posts. You can do different graphics, quote cards, audiograms, video snippets. There is so much content that comes out of that one initial list and you can continue to sustain it. And the content that you get after a podcast doesn't even have to be necessarily tied to that podcast. You can use repurpose the quotes in ebooks and in blog posts and everything that you want. Throw out statistics in the podcast and reuse them later. There's so much opportunity for content reuse and repurposing. So that one investment that seems like a huge lift is getting you so much more in return in so many different ways. It's absolutely a goldmine, again, of just beautiful content that teams can continue to reuse and repurpose in almost infinite ways. Mm. And I feel like at the moment, as we are looking at a lot of lean teams, there has been reductions in the teams and things like that. So they are under pressure to do more with less or at least continue to do as much as they were doing, but with a much leaner team. It's one of those things, don't you find, though, that people often, there's no hard sell in what we've just been talking about. Like, it'd be difficult to find someone to say, I don't agree with that. I don't think that works. I don't think you should do that because it's an easy sell as a concept and as a way of working, things like that. But I feel it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like we all know that we should exercise more or things like that, but then people just constantly say, oh, no, I should be going to the gym, but I'm just not. I feel like people often are saying, I know I should be doing that. I know I should be making more. I know we created this and we didn't make anything from it, but they just don't seem to do it, even though they know it makes sense. What? Why do you think that is? Like, Why do people just stuck in the ways or pressure from other decision makers that isn't the right thing to be doing in the team. I'm not sure. <laughs> Pressure from decision makers, I think absolutely is part of that. A hundred percent, Amy, I think you're spot on with that in terms of you have your marketing teams running and trying to do the most effective thing. And it doesn't even have to be malicious, but 
It could be somebody in the C-suite has a an idea and they run it past and then there's this pressure to execute on this idea. And really what this idea is just more on top of more. It's not necessarily fitting into the plan. I think also too, there is still an element of overcomplicating our marketing efforts and really looking at how much we can do instead of looking at how we can do things better. And there is, I think it's probably partially because this effort of, or this perception that productivity equals better results or productivity equals we're delivering or productivity equals we're doing our jobs. And I should say actually production over productivity, right? So producing things equals productivity when in actuality, it's like repurposing content is productivity and doing better posts or doing better content, but less content is actually more productive. So I think it's producing versus productivity and that those two get confused. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they do get confused and and then, yeah, combining that with mixed priorities of pressure, certain SLAs within the organization that aren't aligned to that kind of approach just bring out behaviors that don't always bring the maximum of the sort of the productivity and all of that. So it's a challenge, isn't it? I think it's, in, I think I'm seeing more discussion about this, more awareness, and hopefully more people starting to move towards embracing those in more maximized ways of working, but not quite there yet, are we? <laughs> There's still some work to do. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Especially like life is complicated enough over the last few years. I wish everybody could just take a step back and say, okay, what do we need to do? Not what should we do? Because those shoulds, we can should and would our day all the day long. But what we need to do is different than from what we should do sometimes. Agreed. Another key theme that came up, we always like to ask the leaders in the B2B marketing space, what do they like to keep in house? Like what specific skills and expertise do you like to keep in house? What do you like to get external support from? What do you like to outsource? And there was a resounding specific, I guess, kind of skill set and area of expertise that most said that they outsource. What do you reckon that was, Anna, if you were to guess? Based on our conversations today and the things we've been talking about, I'm going to go ahead and say content creation. So specifically writing. Yeah, writers. So it's spot on, really. Yeah. It's funny because when I was having the conversations more in 2022, it was more around, right, it's more paid social and SEO. Uh, those are key areas and then maybe really specific stuff like if you've got a podcast production things like that but yeah like it was interesting that the most common almost the first thing that people said was we have our external writers we have people that we go back to time and time again so I found it interesting I liked it because in the we've just been talking all about AI and there's all the different writing tools out there and things like that I didn't hear anybody say we did used to work with lots of writers but now we're asking AI to do it was still like this really high appreciation and value of how challenging it is to get the right words and write really good content. But there was that preference to keep that as a flexible in and out skill set that comes in and out the teams as and when it's required. Do you see that a lot? Is that something that a lot of the people you work with tend to value? Yeah. And even also as a writer who writes on behalf of clients, so I would be the outsourced content creation support. 
what I'm seeing is a bandwidth issue. So it's because writing isn't necessarily predictable in a sense of we know that a blog post is going to take X amount of hours. We know it's just not as formulaic, I think, as some other areas of business. So it's easier to have an external source flex when those needs are higher or not use them as much when needs are lower. Or even I'm oftentimes backup for teams as well, while other teams are running full force on a huge campaign or a big launch or a big initiative, the other work doesn't fall to the wayside. And so nothing gets missed because obviously, as you have teams shift and bend, um, there's naturally going to be things that they can't take care of. There's only so many hours in a day. So I think a lot of times what I'm seeing is it's really bandwidth. I think the other thing too is it's really hard to find really good, consistent writers as well and keep them on staff. And they're also, too, I think a huge part of that is overloading writers as well. Anytime I've been part of an organization where I've been in-house as a writer, I have been maybe one or two, right? One of maybe one or two writers. So team of one or team of two writers at the most. And that's a lot of content to create, especially when it's not formulaic, it's not cut and dried. It's takes a lot of brain power and you have to be able to do creativity on demand. So it's a very niche skill set as well. So I can absolutely see why people would outsource that. Yeah, I can. As someone that hires writers and has a writing team, I would say that it's hands down been the most challenging position to fill for hiring in-house because of everything that you just said and the fact that when we work with recruiting, like recruitment agencies to help us recruit, they'll just often say to us, well, writers are so hard to find because they don't want employed position in a company. They want to be freelance. They, that's what a lot of writers prefer. So for all the reasons that you just said, and I guess maybe just something to be said for the, the creative and the personalities that perhaps they're more free spirits. <laughs> I like, don't like to be just pinned down to one company as well. <laughs> That's true. I will say I very much enjoy the flexibility and getting to pick and choose projects. And it's nice to be able to have that. But and totally, Amy, to your point, I think there are times where obviously I'm mindful of deadlines, but creativity doesn't just turn on sometimes, right? And you have to think about writing for a little bit in order to actually write something that's really meaningful or really good. And so sometimes I'm writing at seven o'clock at night. Because that's when my creativity decides to jump in. And so it's just not like pushing a button or churning out a widget. I often find maybe you're the same that I will come up with a really good idea when I'm out on a walk or something like that. And I'll race into my house and run to my desk and quickly write it down before I take care. Um, yes. I always do that. I've started actually write, uh, doing voice memos on my phone. <laughs> do you do that as well? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, like in my notes app, like voice memos are amazing. I have many of them. I've done them actually on runs. Like every year, my husband and I train for a half marathon and I will get ideas in the middle of an eight mile run. And I literally will have to get my phone out and do a voice memo. But I was going to ask you too, if your notes app is just filled with randomness. Yeah, it's quite funny. I don't delete them a lot of the time. So I find it quite funny listening back to two hundred ones from a while ago. But yeah, that like because creativity, you can spend all day working out what should be like the 
the great opening hook that will capture people and then you're on that run or something like that and bam like it it hits you and you have to get it written down or spoken so yeah there's there's a lot that goes into creativity as we were discussing I guess that's been a key theme of the importance of creativity in this episode but we're almost at the top of the hour so I'm conscious that I can't ask you too much more but I'll just tell you one other key theme that we probably won't have time to talk about, but I think we've discussed it quite a little bit anyway. But one last thing that me and the team noticed when we were talking through was a few people talked about when discussing streamlining and making sure that you get the most out of the work that you do. A big tip that came up multiple times was picking one channel where you can create content consistently and focus on that one channel banish the rest for now and just focus on one and get very good at one before you then start to expand. Chris Walker at Refine Labs said he called it stacking growth where, you know, you get really good at, in his case, LinkedIn, absolutely nail that before you even look left and right at Twitter or Instagram or anything like that, and then move on to those other areas. So that was a key theme that came out. Um, It makes sense, doesn't it? It's perfect strategy. It is. I love that, especially just the value of really growing and nurturing a very strong community instead of having multiple different okay communities or multiple different sort of tuned in communities. I absolutely love that approach and 100% agree. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it's sometimes I hear things like that and think we content tonight, it's like we should be actually making sure we focus a bit more on doing that. It's easy to get distracted and it's, um, it's a real skill to be able to just focus and have a number that you want to reach or a target that you want to reach. And you absolutely stick to that before you get distracted with other things. So it makes sense. And well, Anna, thank you so much for coming on to this, this final episode of the second season. It's been a great season. So it's wonderful to round it up with such a great conversation with you, Anna. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Amy, seriously, for having me back. I could seriously talk to you all day long about all of these things and it was a genuine pleasure to be back so thank you so much oh thank you well as we wrap up our listeners are going to have to have somewhere else to go to now to listen to podcasts because we're finishing up the season and i'd love to do a massive shout out to social pros podcast and direct everyone over to go and check out such a great show i guess really quick summary what just mention what social pros is about and who it's for (laughs) Social Pros. So the Social Pros podcast is one of the longest running B2B marketing podcasts in existence. It was originally started by Jay Bear. He handed the reins over to myself and Daniel Lemon. We're both from Convince and Convert. And it is for any type of social media marketer. So basically, whether you are just starting or dipping your toes in or you are an expert, there is something for everybody. It is also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, produced by the very amazing team at Content 10X. And that's been a very long running partnership that we have loved and could not do that show without you all. So yeah, check it out. It's on every streaming platform, Social Pros Podcast, and also at socialpros.com. Yeah, thanks, Anna. It's fantastic. So yeah, we'll add all the links in for everything and uh, yeah anywhere else you want people to go connect with you on LinkedIn or anything like that (laughs) I am absolutely on LinkedIn that is probably the best place to go for me for business I'm on Instagram if you want to see some random fun life things but I very rarely post about business because I'm often doing things for clients but I'm there I'm a lurker (laughs) that's brilliant 
Okay, Anna, thank you so much. A fantastic conversation. Thanks so much. And I'll have to have you back on the next season as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. Do let me know what you thought of our conversation by getting in touch with me on social media. You'll find Content 10X on all the social platforms or search for Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X on LinkedIn. To find out more about streamlining your content marketing processes and specifically about content repurposing, check out our website, content10x.com, where you'll find information and resources that will help you achieve more with your content more efficiently. And if you're looking for a partner to outsource your content repurposing and distribution to, get in touch as we offer a world-class, fully end-to-end, done-for-you content repurposing service. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I'll catch you in the next one.